You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Okay, wonderful. Why don't we uh, grab our seats again? It's wonderful to be with you. Big hello if you're watching on the live stream. Hello to you guys. And just to introduce myself, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Taryn, and I am one of the pastors here at Catalyst. I'm married to Chuck, and together we... um, have the privilege of going around each of the sites. So we are one church that meets in many places and we have eight sites and Chuck and I have the privilege of going around those sites and preaching God's word and uh, just like we're doing today. So it's wonderful to be with you. Can I just um, highlight one thing before we start today? And that is that we have our Scottish Leadership Conference. Uh, it's a vineyard conference that's happening for um, all of us in Scotland. And uh, it's happening right on our doorstep. And it's happening in two weeks' time at King's Church. And it's from a Thursday night all the way through to a Saturday night. And I would just really love to commend to you to try and make every effort to come. If you're a student, I think the tickets are £20 for the whole time. You can't say fairer than that. And um, there are day tickets and evening tickets alongside the whole conference and you get your lunch with that as well. We've got some wonderful people coming to speak. And last year, the ministry and the worship in particular are off the charts and so I just want to encourage us all to get our diaries out and to say yeah I'm going to come to that and so it's in two weeks time I think is it the third or the fifth maybe it might even come up on the screen we'll see of October so look out for it if you're a very organized person you've already booked your tickets if you're not so organized you haven't even thought about it so this is your first moment to think about it and to uh yeah book your tickets okay so um my mum received a text message that she assumed was from me and it went something like Mom, I'm having a terrible trouble with my phone. Can you message me on this number? And so, of course, she messaged on the number she was given. And then she was like, oh, what's wrong? It's like, oh, I'm feeling really stressed. And so my parents replied, oh, darling, don't be stressed. You're on holiday. Just relax. Anyway, the message came back through. I'm really stressed because my phone isn't working and I need to pay a bill and I have to pay it today. If I don't pay it today, I'm going to have a whole bunch of interest that I can't afford to pay. And so could I ask for a massive favor? So my parents messaged back and said, what's the massive favor? The massive favor was, could you send over to me 785 pounds so that I could pay the bill? And my parents were already just about to send the money when my mum said, wait a minute, what if this is a scam? Probably more than ever before, we're having to ask the question, wait a minute, is this real? 
from fake news to false advertising to ridiculous claims, we are being bombarded with fake and misleading information, aren't we? And promises that never measure up. And it's hard to know what is real and what is fake nowadays, don't you think? That's why for all of us, but particularly the Gen Z generation, so for those of you between the age of nine and between the ages of 24, you're in the Gen Z generation, in case you didn't know. And particularly, these guys in particular are reeling against this culture. They are craving authenticity. That's the most desirable quality for them. From social media to conversations to the media that they are consuming, they are craving an authentic experience. They are desperate for transparency and for truth. And they are looking for an authentic way to live. Now we've heard several stories recently over people who have been finding Jesus in the most remarkable of ways. And one of them was a guy who just recently, he just woke up one day and he thought to himself, you know, I've always prayed, but I don't, I don't know who I'm praying to. And so he got up, he went to a bookstore, he bought a Bible and he started reading the New Testament. And in the pages of the New Testament, God's spirit met him and he recognized that Jesus died for him and set him free and loved him. And so there in his bedroom, he gave his life to Jesus and he's now part of our church family here. How wonderful is that? In a world that is so often fake and shallow and pretentious, more and more people across the spectrum are searching for something that is real, something that will make sense of their lives and their own experiences. They're looking for the real thing. And the book of James, which is the new series that we're in, is all about authentic faith. The whole of the book is about an encouragement how we can, can continue to be the real deal as Christians. And so James, who is the author of this book, James was Jesus's brother and he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter to the first century Jewish Christians who have been scattered all across the Mediterranean due to persecution. And because of this, they were really tempted to compromise their faith. They had fallen into the trap of shallow religion. But James is passionate that every Jesus follower would look different to everyone else around them. And he's really clear that we can't just profess that we're a Christian, but actually we have to live it out to embody a faith that is put to work with action. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to read James. We're in James chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 1 all the way through to 13. It's going to come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, and I'm also going to read it to you. So here we go. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man came into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also came in. 
If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit down by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judge with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I've entitled this talk, Authentic Faith, as this is the invitation that James is inviting his readers into, an invitation to lean in and to embody love and to reject all kinds of favoritism. Because favoritism is about making judgments about people based on their outward appearance. And it's an unfair practice of elevating some people and um, putting some people down. And I'm sure for some of us here today, we have been either on the receiving end of being given preferential treatment or treated terribly due to favoritism. And James cannot stand it. And he's compelled to write to the whole church about how favoritism has to be forbidden. See how he begins with my brothers and sisters. This is because this problem with favoritism is a family problem. It's a problem that the family of God is struggling with. And so today we're going to look at what does the Lord require of us as a community of believers? What does the Lord require of his church, his perfect bride? And what does the Lord require of me? So firstly, what does the Lord require of us as a community of believers? To express God's impartiality. When we think about the attributes of God, his divine nature and his character, we usually think of things like his holiness or his omnipresence or his righteousness. We might think about his sovereignty, his justice, his perfect grace and love and mercy and faithfulness and goodness. But another attribute of God that isn't often spoken about is his impartiality. Yeah, it's a recurring theme that runs all the way through scripture. God is absolutely impartial in his dealings with people. Deuteronomy 10 verse 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Romans 2 verse 11, For God does not show favoritism. 
Ephesians 6 verse 9, there is no favoritism with him. Acts 10 verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And then here in our passage today, it tells us that showing favoritism is inconsistent with God's character and it directly opposes the gospel and it is incompatible with it. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Have, having genuine faith in our Lord Jesus Christ while holding an attitude of favoritism is contradictory and actually it's incompatible. And we cannot have the faith of Christ, who is the very presence and glory of God, and then display partiality and favoritism. Verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, whether that was last week, whether that was 70 odd years ago, Jesus forgave us. He treated us just like he does everyone who puts their faith in him. Our wealth didn't matter, our skin color didn't matter, our education didn't matter, our appearance didn't matter, our gender didn't matter, our sexual orientation didn't matter, our history didn't matter, our relationship status didn't matter. We were treated equally, we were forgiven equally, we were adopted equally, and we were saved equally. And so it's pretty understandable why James is cross at what has been happening in the church. Talk about double standards. They've been saved, they've been redeemed, they've been freed, they've been adopted into the family of God, and yet their actions are one of prejudice and being judgmental. Showing favoritism to someone just because they're rich means that the church were neglecting the poor and the marginalized. And the apostle Paul tells us that all those who put their faith in Jesus are part of the body of Christ, which is the church. And so then, of course, when one part of the body is treated badly, it means the whole church suffers for it. The whole body is poorer for it. To show prejudice against any person based on their appearance or their race or how they talk or how they live their lives is a sin. Because it's not demonstrating the impartial heart that God does for us. James is clear. Showing favoritism to one group over another should never happen in the church. So what does the Lord require of us as a community of believers? I think he requires of us to throw away any trace of a measuring stick that we might have in our own hearts. And that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to help us to recognize quickly when we're making assumptions or we're jumping to judgments um, regarding people because they're different to us. Number two, what does the Lord require of his church for mercy to triumph over judgment? So Chuck and I recently saw the Jesus Revolution movie. Did anyone else see that? There was a few of us. It was absolutely brilliant. So it's based on a true story. There's three main characters. You've got Chuck Smith, 
who is a pastor. You've got Lonnie Frisbee um, and Greg Laurie. And um, the Jesus Revolution, it it basically was a move of God that happened during the 60s um, across the hippie um, and there were some also, there were some bikers and addicts as well. And it swept across uh, the west coast of the United States. And it's actually where our vineyard heritage is rooted, is founded in. And so um, there's a particular scene in this movie where Chuck Smith, who's the pastor, he invites Lonnie Frisbee and all his hippie mates to come into his home and also into the church. And we're going to watch that scene now. They got drug addictions, medical issues. And they need our help. Yeah, but Chuck, <laughs> I mean, they need to go home. They're making our congregation uncomfortable. Well, maybe they should be uncomfortable. Maybe we all should. Maybe it's my job. Church, welcome. Thank you. Hello, young lady. How are you? Let's have that foot. Let's have that other foot. <laughs> sit next to that fella in the cantaloupe jacket. Good to see you. Thank Enjoy. You. Welcome to church. Thank you. Hello, young lady. Well, last year I had the privilege of visiting uh, New York City. And like any good tourist, I paid a visit to the Statue of Liberty. And I read those famous words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. And as I read those words, I thought, well, that's Christianity, isn't it? It's the essence of it. An invitation to the broken. Jesus was very friendly with the outcasts. In Revelation 22, it says, let the one who can hear say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the waters of life freely. this place it is yours if you feel like you're misunderstood and judged this is where you belong if you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing 
you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think we'll stop that. <laughs> We're slick, aren't we? <laughs> oh dear. So what does the Lord require of his church? Verse 13, for mercy to triumph over judgment. The message says, kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. And as disciples of, of Jesus, we are on a journey to become more like him you know, to reflect his character and his heart. And we are a people who are saying to the Holy Spirit, would you bend and would you mold and would you shape me so that you find no offensive ways within me? And as we ask the Holy Spirit to come and to do that again, I feel challenged to ask the question today, who do the hippies in the film represent to us? Is it the underprivileged? Is it those who have known no different than living a life of crime their whole lives? Is it those who are ill or who have a disability? Is it those who have addictions? The pimp, the prostitute, those who have mental health issues, those who have a different ethnicity to us, is it the LGBT community? Or is it simply anyone who is different to me? The other. When the people of God make distinctions and judgments about someone based on external factors, mercy, ultimately, it's left in the dust. And we deeply grieve the heart of Jesus. And we deeply grieve the Holy Spirit. And over the last couple of months, I've been hearing a really similar story around our church. And it's a similar conversation. And it goes something like this. I'd love to come to your church, but I couldn't possibly. Because I'm not sorted. I'm messed up. I've got a whole bunch of stuff going on right now with me. I can't come because you won't like what I represent. Church, our world has already been torn apart by every kind of prejudice there is. The Lord requires of his church to be a place of welcome for everyone. Because it is here in this place among believers where hope and love and mercy is found. If people can't find hope and healing and mercy in the church, then where in the world will they go? The reality is that this is the response when people have been invited to come to church. They're not saying they don't want to come. No, no, none of them are saying that. They're saying, I can't come right now because I'm too messed up. They want to wait until they're sorted out. You see, they have no idea that we are a church 
that loves and embraces mess and brokenness. They have no idea about that. And I love that we are a church that leans into mess and leans into brokenness. And I love that we do that. And my heart is that we would be a people that would do that even more. To see a tapestry of people from every walk of life and culture and background coming into this church and experiencing the mercy of Jesus and his people. Question number three, what does the Lord require of me? To love my neighbor as myself. So last weekend, we, um, we dropped off one of our kids. It was quite a big event for us. Uh, they're taking a gap year at Trent Vineyard in Nottingham. And so we dropped them off. And as we were saying goodbye, which was really tough, to be honest, for me anyway, it was really tough. Um, as we were saying goodbye, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I really hope that Chuck and I have instilled in them everything they're going to need to know for this next kind of life stage that they're in. Things like, remember your manners. Always look both ways before you cross the road. Remember to eat your five a day. Remember to brush your teeth. That's a good one. Remember to be quiet when everyone else is asleep. Remember to take your keys with you and not leave them on your bed. And also to remember to call your mum from time to time. Now, if you ask me to pick one of these as being the most important, I think I would struggle to pick which one. Jesus was asked a similar question. Out of all these commands in the law, he was asked, which one tops the list? And Jesus didn't hesitate. He said, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then really close second is love your neighbor as yourself. We see here, James calls it the royal law. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Verse eight, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. It's the foundational law for God's kingdom. The kingdom has come through Jesus and one day it will be fully established on earth as it is in heaven. And as followers of Jesus, we are to live according to the royal law. But the reality is loving our neighbor isn't always that easy. That's why God made it a command. Because <laughs> he knew that we'd struggle with it. You see, making it a commandment is actually to our benefit because we have to do it on purpose. You know, we have to be intentional about it. And it's a command that runs all the way through scripture. For the Old Testament Israelites, loving their neighbor looked like leaving crops at the edges of the fields so that the poor could come and take. It meant not taking from others or wrongly accusing each other. It meant not oppressing others, practicing justice and reasoning instead of falling out with one another and hating one another. The Levitical law was that God's people were to reflect who he is. He is generous. He is righteous. He is just. And he is merciful. And his people were to show that in how they lived their lives. 
So as God's people, we are called to live in a way that reflects his character and his kingdom. And that requires that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And when Jesus was asked, well, who is my neighbor? He responded with a story, which many of us will know, which is the Good Samaritan. And the story is told in Luke chapter 10. And Jesus told the story of a man who was beaten up and he was robbed and he was left for dead at the side of the road. And a bunch of people passed him by. And then there was a surprise twist because many, because a Samaritan guy stopped and helped. And the twist is that many Jews considered the Samaritan their enemy. And the point of it is that it's really easy for us to go out of our way and to help people who are like us. But what about those who are different to us? And Jesus wants us to be moved by compassion. A compassion that pays no attention to race, or religion, or economic status. Compassion is not simply a warm, fuzzy feeling that we get in our hearts. Compassion does something. A heart that is moved by compassion cannot sit idly by and watch someone else suffer. Loving your neighbor as yourself is being moved to help them to the full extent of our ability. Lifestyle is our Monday night service and it's a wonderful place where week after week this kind of extraordinary compassion is lived out. Where the dearest of people who have suffered the hardest and the cruelest of things in life come where they're offered a meal and prayer and a listening ear and worship and the Bible is open. And where they are helped practically in a whole bunch of wonderful ways. And I love how lifestyle is like a gateway to church here on a Sunday, because they know that they can come into this church at any point that they want, because that is also where they will be loved and accepted. Some of you will remember Bill. He spent most of his adult life in and out of prison. He was a street drinking alcoholic and he was known to many of us. <laughs> and eventually all the invitations added up for Bill and he came to Lifestyle. And then later he came into the church here and he became very much part of our church family here. He found something he never experienced before and that was love and community where he knew he would belong despite his addiction. Bill found Jesus and we baptized Bill. And if you were there on that day, you'll remember there probably wasn't a dry eye in the house as Bill shared that. No one had ever looked him in the eye or shook him by the hand until he walked into this church. That's what we do church. That's us at our best. Where else could a hopeless ex-prisoner and degraded alcoholic find an eternal hope and family and a place to belong to? Only in the church. God's glorious bride where the people of God are extending the kingdom of God. That's where. Why don't we stand?
I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to hand back over to James and Yoni. And Lord, would you extend our heart of compassion? Would you cause any offensive ways in us to be highlighted, Jesus, so that you can come and have your way? Would you search us, O oh God? Would we be a people that continue to be one who welcomes and loves particularly the most marginalized people in society? Would you come by your spirit? Amen. Amen.